Chapters nine and ten of A Woman's Experiences in the Great War by Louise Mack. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter nine Setting Out on the Great Adventure. It was on Friday afternoon, September twenty fourth, that I ran down the stairs of the Hotel Terminus with a little brown bag in my hand without saying good-bye to anybody i hurried out and jumped into a cab at the door accompanied by the old professor from liege and the young brussels lawyer it was a gorgeous day about four o'clock in the afternoon with brilliant sunlight flooding the city and a feeling of intense elation came over me as our cab went rattling along over the old flagged streets overhead in the bright blue sky aeroplanes were scouting the wind blew sweet from the scheldt and the flat green lands beyond all the banners stirred and waved french english belgian and russian and i felt contented and glad i had started first we called for madame julie said the young lawyer we drove along the quay and stopped at a big white house to my surprise i found myself now suddenly precipitated into the midst of a huge belgian party mamma papa aunts uncles nephews nieces friends officers little girls little boys servants gathered in a great high-ceiled and bewindowed drawing-room crowded to the full i was introduced to everybody and a lot of handshaking went on i thought to myself this is a new way to get to brussels servants were going round with trays laden with glasses of foaming champagne and little sweet biscuits we shall drink to the health of julie said someone and we drank to julie the sun poured in through the windows and the genial affectionate belgian family all gathered closer round the beloved daughter who was going bravely back to-day to brussels to join her husband there at his post it was a touching scene but as i think of it now it becomes poignant with the tragedy hidden beneath the glittering sunlight and foaming champagne that fine old man with the dignified grey head and beard was a distinguished belgian minister who has since met with a sad death he was julie's father a father any woman might have been proud of he said to me je suis content that a lady is going too in this little company it is hard for my daughter to be travelling about alone yet she is brave she does not lack courage she came alone all the way from brussels three days ago in order to bring her little girl to antwerp and leave her in our care and now she feels it is her duty to go back to her husband in brussels though we of course long to have her remain with us then at last the parting came and tall brown-eyed buxom julie kissed and was kissed by everybody and everybody shook hands with me and wished me luck and i felt as if i was one with them although i had never seen them in my life before and never saw them in my life again we ran down the steps and now instead of getting into the old rickety fiacre we entered a handsome motor-car belonging to the belgian ministry and drove quickly to the quay the father came with us his daughter clinging to his arm at the quay we went on board the big river steamer and julie bade her father farewell she flung herself into his arms and he clasped her tight he held her in silence for a long minute then they parted they never met again as we moved away from the quay it seemed to me that our steamer was steering straight for the hesperides all the west was one great blazing field of red and gold and the sun was low on the broad water's edge 
while behind us the fair city of antwerp lit sparkling lights in all her windows and the old cathedral rose high into the sunlight with a belgian banner fluttering from a pinnacle and that is how i shall always see antwerp fair and stately and sun-wreathed as she was that golden september afternoon when i think of her i refuse to see her any other way i refuse to see her as she was when i came back to her or as when i left her again for the last time chapter ten from ghent to Grammont. i don't know why we were all in such high spirits for we had nothing but discomfort to endure and yet out of that very discomfort itself some peculiar psychic force seemed to spring to life and thrive until we became as merry as crickets a more inherently melancholy type than the old liege professor could scarcely be imagined poor old soul he had lost his wife a week before the war and in the siege of liege one of his sons had fallen and he had lost his home and everything he held dear he was an enormous man dressed in deep black the most pronounced mourning you can possibly imagine with a great black pot-hat coming well down on his huge face his big frame quivered like a jelly as he sat in the corner of the train and was shaken by the rough movements and the frequent stoppages yet he became cheerful just as cheerful as any of us strange as it seems in the telling this cheerfulness is a normal condition of the people nearest the front there is only one thing that kills it loss of freedom when loss of freedom means loss of companionship ruin danger cold hunger heat dirt discomfort wounds suffering death are all dashed with glory and become acceptable as part of the greatest adventure in the world but loss of freedom wrings the colour from the brain and shuts out this world and the next when it entails loss of comradeship when i first realised this strange phenomenon i thought it would take a volume of psychology to explain it and then all suddenly with no effort of thought i found the explanation revealing itself in one magic blessed word companionship out here in the danger zones the irksome isolation of ordinary lives has vanished we are no longer alone there are no such things as strangers we are all together wherever we are in the trenches on the roads in the trams in the cities in the villages we all talk to each other we all know each other's histories we pour out our hopes and fears we receive the warm sweet stimulus of human comradeship multiplied out of all proportion to anything that life has ever offered any single one of us before till even pain and death take on more gentle semblance seen with the eyes of a million people all holding hands young men who have not gone go now find out for yourselves whether this wonderful thing that i tell you is not true that the battlefield apart from its terrific and glorious qualities holds also that secret of gaiety of heart that mankind is ever searching for we were at st nicola now and it was nearly dark and our train was at a standstill i shall get out and see what's the matter said the young lawyer whom i shall refer to hereafter as jean he came back in a minute looking serious the train doesn't go any further he said there's no train for ghent to-night we all got out clutching our bags and stood there on the platform in the reddened dusk that was fast passing into night a pontonnier who had been in the train with us came up and said he was expecting an automobile to meet him here 
and perhaps he could give some of us a lift as far as ghent however his automobile didn't turn up and that little plan fell through jean began to bite his moustache and walk up and down smiling intermittently a queer distracted-looking smile that showed his white teeth he always did that when he was thinking how to circumvent the authorities he had a word here with an officer and a word there with a gendarme then he came back to us we shall all go and interview the station-master and see what can be done so we went to the station-master and jean produced his papers and julie produced hers and the old professor from liege produced his and i produced my english passport jean talked a great deal and the station-master shook his head a great deal and there was an endless colloquy such as belgians dearly love and just as i thought everything was lost the station-master hastened off into the dark with a little lantern and told us to follow him right across the train lines and we came to a bewildering mass of lights and at last we reached a spot in the middle of many train lines which seemed extremely dangerous when the station-master said stand there and when train fifty seven comes along get immediately into the guard's van there is only one we waited a long time and the night grew cold and dark before fifty seven came along when it puffed itself into a possible position we all performed miracles in the way of climbing up with an enormous step and then we found ourselves in a little wooden van with one dim light burning and one wooden seat and in we got seating ourselves in a row on the hard seat and off we started through the night for ghent looking through a peephole i suddenly stifled an exclamation pointing straight at me were the muzzles of guns mais oui said jean that is what this train is doing it is taking guns to ghent there are big movements of troops going on we were shaken nearly to pieces and we went so slowly that we scarcely moved at all but we arrived at ghent at last arrived of course as usual in wartime at a station one had never seen or heard of before in a remote far-off portion of the town and then we had to find our way back to the town proper a long long walk it was twelve o'clock when we got into the beautiful old dreamlike town first we went to the hotel ganda full up said the fat white-faced porter rudely no room even on the floor to sleep can you give us something to eat we pleaded impossible the kitchens are shut up he was a brute of a porter an extraordinary man who never slept and was on duty all night and all day he was hand in glove with the germans all the time his face did not belie him he looked the ugliest stealthiest creature showing a covert rudeness towards all english-speaking people that many of us remember now and understand in the pitch darkness we set out again clattering about the flagged streets of ghent a determined little party now with our high spirits quite unchecked by hunger and fatigue to try to find some sleeping place for the night from hotel to hotel we wandered every one was full evidently a vast body of troops had arrived at ghent that day but finally at one o'clock we went last of all to the hotel we should have gone to first that was the hotel de la poste it being the chief hotel at ghent we had felt certain it would be impossible to get accommodation there but other people had evidently thought so too and the result was we all got a room from the outside the hotel appeared to be in pitch darkness but when we got within we found the lights burning and great companies of belgian cavalry officers gathered in the lounge and halls finishing their supper 
there are great movements of troops going on said jean this is the first time i have seen our army in ghent to my delight i recognized my two friends from Ayershot, the brussels nuts on hearing that i was going to brussels one of them begged me to go and see his father and sister if i got safely there and i gladly promised to do so after that about two o'clock in the morning it was then we crawled down some steps into the cellar where the most welcome supper i have ever eaten soon pulled us all round again cold fowl red wine delicious bread and butter then we went up to our rooms giving strict injunctions to be called at six o'clock and for four hours we slept the sleep of the thoroughly tired out next morning at half-past six we were all down and had our cafe au lait in the restaurant and then started off cheerfully to the principal railway station so far so good all we had to do now was to get into a train and be carried straight into brussels why then did jean look so agitated when we went to the ticket office and asked for our tickets he turned to us with a shrug ah ces allemands one never knows what the cochons are going to do the station-master here says that the trains may not run into brussels to-day he won't book us further than Grammont. he believes the lines are cut from there on i was so absorbed in watching the enormous ever-increasing crowds on the ghent station that the seriousness of that statement passed me by i did not realize where Grammont was and it did not occur to me to wonder by what means i was going to get from Grammont to brussels i only urged that we should go on the old professor and madame julie argued as to whether it would not be better to abandon their plans and return to antwerp that seemed to me a tedious idea so i did my best to push on jean agreed at any rate he said we will go as far as Grammont and see what happens there perhaps by the time we get there we shall find everything all right again so at seven o'clock we steamed away from ghent out into the fresh bright countryside now we were in the region of danger we were outside the dernière ligne of the belgian army if one came this way one came at one's risk but as i looked from the train windows everything seemed so peaceful that i could scarcely imagine there was danger there were no ruins here there was no sign of war at all only little farms and villages bathed in the blue september sunlight with the peasants working in the fields as i tried to push my window higher someone who was leaning from the next window spoke to me in english and i met a pair of blue english-looking eyes may i fix that window for you i guess you're english aren't you ma'am i gave him one quick hard look it was the war look that raked the face with a lightning glance by now i had come to depend absolutely on the result of my glance yes i said and you are american he admitted that was so almost immediately we fell into talk about the war how long do you think it will last asked the american i don't know what do you think i give it six weeks i'll be over then and he assured me that was the general opinion of those he knew six weeks or less but what are you doing in this train he added interestedly going to brussels brussels he looked at me with amazed eyes pardon me did you say going to brussels yes pardon me but how are you going to get to brussels i am going there but you are english yes then you can't have a german passport to get into brussels if you are english no i haven't got one but don't you realize ma'am that to get into brussels you have got to go through the german lines we began to discuss the question he was an american who had friends in brussels 
and was going there on business his name was richards he was a kindly nice man he could speak neither french nor flemish and had a belgian with him to interpret what do you think i ought to do i asked go back he promptly said if the germans stop you they'll take you prisoner and even if you do get in he added you will never get out it is even harder to get out of brussels than it is to get in i'm going to chance it well if that's so the only thing i can suggest is that if you do manage to get into brussels safely you go to the american consulate and show them your papers and they may give you a paper that'll help you to get out but would the americans do that for a british subject sure we're a neutral country as a little american boy said i'm neutral i don't care which country whips the germans then another idea occurred to mr richards but you mustn't go into brussels with an english passport about you you'll have to hide that somehow i shall give it to monsieur jean to hide i said he's the conductor of the little belgian party there well let me see your passport then in case you have to part with it and you arrive in brussels without it i can satisfy our consul that i have seen it and that you are an english subject and that will make things easier for you at the american consulate i showed him my passport and he examined it carefully and promised to do what he could to help me in brussels then we arrived at grammont and there the worst happened the train lines were cut and we could go no further by rail to get to brussels we must drive by the roads all the way End of chapter 10 recording by expatriate in bangor maine